Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a woodworker Mark, Matt, and Shannon. On today's show, we're talking to Brandon Gore from the Spike TV show Framework. If you haven't seen the show yet, head to spike.com slash shows slash framework and at least watch the promo and recap videos. You'll enjoy the interview a whole lot more. All right, let's get to it. I'm here today with Brandon Gore, furniture maker, designer, concrete artist, and owner of Gore Design Company based here in Arizona. Uh, We'll get into Brandon's work a little bit later, but the thing that most of you probably know Brandon for at this point is his work on the new Spike TV show Framework. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Glad to be here. Now, for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, could you just tell them a little bit about the show and what they could expect from it? Absolutely. So Framework is the world's first furniture design build competition. And so we bring in 13 of the world's best makers from all fields, woodworking, metalworking, textiles, and uh, we have challenges each week and we eliminate one person a week. Nice. Okay. Now I actually have seen the first episode and I believe it was the fourth episode. And I I have to say, I love it. I really enjoy it. It's high energy. It's a lot of fun. Um, I get a kick out of it every, every time I sit down to watch it. But one of the things that was hilarious to me was watching in the first episode, I think common, the host uh, specifically said that he really liked one piece. And of course this is all edited for TV. (laughs) So you never know how it actually went down. But later on at the judging table, after you guys told him like, uh, no, this actually is crap, and here are the reasons why. Yeah. So then later on, his response is like, you know, I don't. I, I thought I liked this piece, but I kind of don't now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? That was the first and only time that happened. Yeah. So what you saw on TV <laughs> when when Common says, my favorite piece is this, and I said, what? That's the worst piece here. <laughs> the look on his face was authentic, and he was not expecting that. Yeah. Uh, but one thing that we as judges decided early on was let's always be honest. Let's be honest with each other. Yeah. Let's be honest with the contestants. Let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not be nice for being nice. Let's not be mean for being mean. Let's just be 100% honest. And so I think that kind of took Common by surprise in the first episode because he's not expecting me to say, no, you're completely wrong on this. Right, yeah. Well, it's interesting because we're talking about people's opinions here. And when you're talking about uh, Common and, you know, forgive the pun, but he he represents the common man. Sure. Uh, In in that case, people like things because they like things. They don't even know how to verbalize why they like them, but they like them. And then when you talk to someone who actually is in the know, that can they can actually influence your opinion on that. So did did that sort of thing happen? Did he learn from you guys to be a little bit more discerning, more discerning than the average person? Absolutely. You know, Common from first episode to the last episode became an expert yeah. on, on furniture design. And there's so much to go into it, as you know, ergonomics, mm-hmm. uh, the craftsmanship of the piece, all these things play into it. But for instance, on that very first piece, he said he liked a, a table made by a gentleman named BK. And the table was 34 inches tall, which is too tall for a dining table, mm-hmm. had rope stapled all over it, had little shelves that served no purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, I, they cut it out, but I said, is this for your troll doll collection? Like, what do you, what do you put on these little shelves? <laughs> right. And once I pointed out the reasons why I didn't like it, he saw that. And he's like, you're absolutely right. You know, he liked the story. He talked to BK. BK said, this represents this. And Common's like, I like the story behind the piece. But when we looked at it objectively about the furniture itself, not the story, he can see what was wrong with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So this is sort of a loaded question for you. So overall, and we've talked a little uh, offline about this, um, how has the response been so far to the show? Well, the response has been good and bad. So it's been really, really good uh, amongst the general population from the woodworking community. That's where I've seen a little bit of resistance. Um, I would say personally, uh, 
that has a lot to do with the fact that we're not a how-to show. Sure. And we don't focus on the specifics of how furniture is made. Um, the show is a competition. And so when people look at it from that lens, that this is a competition and not necessarily a woodworking or how-to show, it kind of changes that perspective. Yeah. And I think there, there's a couple things at play because I know from the posts that I've made about this, I've seen some of the responses and I've kind of held off on putting my opinion out there. Sure. Just saying, what do you guys think about this? And uh, quite frankly, some of the responses are a little disappointing to me that they're that uh, just vocally critical about it. Uh, the thing is, it's a TV show. You know, and if you've seen a reality TV show in the last 10 years, you kind of know what to expect here. Absolutely. Uh, there's no major surprises. For me, I think the most important takeaway from this is the fact that that this is craftsmanship. It is woodworking. It is metalworking. It's all types of materials. And it's on a sort of a mainstream medium. It's on television in front of millions of people. I'm not sure that anything really bad can come out of that from a world that doesn't have this stuff being taught in schools. We're constantly complaining about how this stuff is disappearing. Everything is uh, going to white collar work. And here's a show that really is highlighting blue collar work. And whether there's drama around it or not, I think is irrelevant. It's the fact that now, boom, this is in people's awareness. People understand what's going on. I think it's just it's going to generate a lot of buzz. If it's a little bit negative, I don't know that that's a bad thing. No. If people are talking, they're talking. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's that's the truth. Uh, you know, for me, what's so great about this show is it shines light on craftsmanship mm -hmm. and made in America and the and, and importance of quality design. You know, so that's what we focus on. Nolan New uh, is a co-judge. Mm -hmm. He builds furniture every day for a living. He is phenomenal at what he does. Uh, I build furniture every day for a living. I think I'm okay at what I do. Um, <laughs> but this is what we do for a living. And so to have something that shines light on this, that like draws attention to it, and we have big publications that are writing stories about this, yeah. that's good for everybody. Yeah, that's the thing. I saw an article recently. Uh, was it Bloom Bloomberg? It was, I believe. Yeah. And it's, you know, this is mainstream coverage saying, you know, looking over the shoulder of furniture makers. I follow, I'm not like, I'm not a foodie, but I love watching like food reality show competitions. Sure. Top Chef is one of my favorite shows. And I, I guess as a person who builds furniture and I'm focused on fine techniques, I'm just as mesmerized by a chef that knows what they're doing in the kitchen as I am by another woodworker Absolutely. doing what they do. And I see the, the world of, of foodies and food blogs and the opportunities that have sprung up for pop-up restaurants and food trucks for independent people to make something and make a go at it because there's so many people who want to taste the food they've created. Why can't we have that in, in woodworking or in just general making of things? We're heading that direction. That's, That's where thinking. it's going. Yeah, yeah. We're making it cool. You yeah. know, we're making this entertainment, which if you watch uh, Chopped or Top Chef, you're not learning how to cook. Right. But you're being inspired. Yeah. And you're seeing what goes into it. And the same thing with framework. We're not teaching you how to make a piece of furniture, but we're showing you all the work that goes into it, what makes good furniture. And we're, we're bringing it to the mainstream. Yeah. And it's in, in large part, I think, inspiring a very big movement these days, the, the maker movement in general. Uh, now we've talked about locally Phoenix is, you know, sort of not without its problems. There's not a lot of uh, community here, sure. uh, bringing makers together whatever you're actually making. doesn't matter anyone who's building something as an individual. Uh, there's really not a whole lot here for us. Now you told me about a makers meetup group that sort of sprung up. And I, I think it's great if you can sort of ride this wave of what you're doing in television and actually better an entire community as you do it is really compelling to me. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing locally in Phoenix sure. here. Well, so I travel a lot with uh, with training and I was recently in Nashville and went to a place called Fort Houston, mm -hmm. awesome makerspace and great community. Come back to Phoenix. We don't have that here. So we have been doing the, the uh, framework viewing party every Tuesday night. 
But that's more a celebration of me, which I hate. (laughs) I don't go out for my birthday. I stay home. (laughs) And uh, so I don't want to have people gather around and be like, yeah, you know. So we decided this is a great opportunity because all these makers are coming to see the viewing party and they're talking to each other. So let's make this more of a maker meetup and let's focus on a maker every week and introduce Mm -hmm. this person to the group. And it's turned into a very successful event. And so we want to kind of replicate that also around the U.S. and maybe inspire some makerspaces to have framework viewing parties, make it into an event, make it into a weekly thing where everybody can connect. Yeah, sounds good. I'm definitely going to attend because I I would love to to connect with more people around here. And I've got a couple of buddies that'll uh, go with me. Plus, I don't like to go anyplace alone. (laughs) I'm a little bit nervous and my wife has to stay home with the kid. Uh, So I want to talk a little bit about design with you. Uh, Your job on the show was to be a judge of not only workmanship, but just design in general. Uh, And design something that I think for a lot of new woodworkers and new craftspeople in general, when you're making things that are new or trying to be unique with your work, it's, um, you know, it's difficult for people to wrap their head around. So how important is, just generally speaking, good design to you? Good design is everything. At the end of the day, it is absolutely everything. You can have the best made piece, with the best materials in the world, mm-hmm. if it does not function and if people do not interact with it, yeah. it'll be thrown away. Right. So it always comes down to good design. And good design is one of the things that it takes years and years and years to, A, understand what's good design because you have to make bad designs. That's yeah. the only way you, you know. you got to fail on the way yeah. to success. You don't know hot without knowing cold. And so the same thing with design. And then it takes many more years from that to distill what makes your design special. And uh, so that's one of the things that, you know, on the show you'll see some people are more experienced and their design is more prevalent and there's people that are maybe a little bit newer to the craft and they kind of struggle with what's their voice and do you value function over form or is it a sort of equally weighted thing no always so for me if it's a table i make the table structurally sound and reduce everything else if it doesn't serve a purpose i i remove it from the piece so for me great design is the most functional piece with the minimal strokes whatever that is and uh, so when you look at my work um whether it's tables or chairs, uh, it's very architectural, but it's very minimal. And um, I think that has a lot to do with my upbringing. I grew up in a civil engineering family. My grandfather was an architect. So I grew up around that, and it's definitely influenced. But I think the biggest thing is uh, minimal design, for me, is the best design. Right, okay. I uh, had an opportunity to judge a student competition in uh, one of the tool shows in in Vegas a couple of years ago. And I remember one piece in particular, and I I don't mean to disparage anyone's design. Uh, This is why I'd be a horrible judge, because I have to to make excuses for myself before I say something bad. Uh, But there was one chair in particular that was made out of some sort of plastic composite thing, and it was just folded over in layers in such a way that it was really interesting to look at. But I sat in it, and it was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever sat in. And I was just like, you know, as much as I want to give this thing high marks because it is unique, it's different, it's made with some cool materials, it fails in its purpose, in its primary purpose to to, to comfort my cheeks when I mm-hmm. sit in it, and it doesn't do that very well, and I can't give it a high rating for you know for that. So, but I guess it might be you know someone may value looks and the visual aspects a little bit more, so that, that might be a little bit of a personal thing. Well, one thing I kept saying on the show was furniture that isn't functional is yeah. art. And this is not an art competition. It's a furniture competition. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I said that all the time. And, you know, you'll see us uh, when we're doing our, our critiques, sit in the furniture, shake it around, mm-hmm. move it, look at it. And we're, we're testing those things. Does it rack? Does it, does it uh, wobble? Is it stable? Right. Um, is it comfortable? You know, the amazing thing is many of the pieces that we sat in 
whether it's a chaise lounge or a chair, we're extremely uncomfortable because the yeah. basics of ergonomics were not applied. What are some of the basic guidelines that you use for furniture forms? Now, I know on the show, we've seen you pull out the tape measure. Oh, yeah. And you're looking at numbers, and you've <laughs> obviously got some of these numbers swimming sure. around in your head at all times. So how important are those dimensions, and is there any wiggle room there? Absolutely. So to address that, because that's one of the things I see a lot of comments about, you know, I'll <laughs> the say the guy with the tape measure. Oh man, uh, is it's a TV show, yeah. and I have to be able to back with a reason why I'm saying what I'm saying. So I could sit at a table and say this table's too tall, but that doesn't mean anything. So uh, I was asked to be very specific. So we'd measure, and I'd say, you know, really for me, a table should be 29 and 30 if it's a dining table, and your table's 34, it's way too tall. Um. So, you know, ergonomics, it's, there's tons of books on the subject and uh, charts. And one of my favorite books is Human Dimension and Interior Space. I use it for everything. But uh, that's the basic building block of anything. So it doesn't matter what I'm making. I start with sound ergonomics and go from there. So I, I know when I build furniture, I almost never, just because of production schedules and things like that, I almost never have time to build a prototype which is a great thing to do because then you get a practice run and you can actually sit in this thing or put it up against the wall and judge it. So in your own work, do you often have the experience of building prototypes or is it sort of a run and gun, you know, get the job done and, and you'll, you'll figure it out as you go. It's for me, it's, it's, I do, I, I make as I go. So yeah. I don't know how to say that really well, but uh, for instance, the modern Muskoka chair, it's a concrete and steel chair. I drew it one-to-one scale on a piece of MDF I built the form, cast it, and took it to dwell on design and mm-hmm. won the award for best furniture design. The first one I took was the first one I sat in, was the first one I made. There was no <laughs> prototype. There was no testing. Nice. Um, but, you know, a lot of that, I, I, I talk about this uh, in some other interviews, is that comes from a history of failure. So good design decisions come from bad design decisions. Mm-hmm. And it's from a perspective. And so you have to know what not to do to know what to do. And so... Now, when I make a piece of furniture, I know it's going to be comfortable and functional because I made pieces that were not comfortable and not functional. Right. And uh, maybe earlier on, I probably would have done more prototypes. And I think I did do more prototypes. Uh, But these days, I just go go with the flow and make it happen. Yeah. It's a little like playing music in a sense where in the beginning you may need to look at sheet notes, you yeah. know, to follow a particular song, but eventually you know your instrument and Absolutely. now you can just jam and play your song and it sounds good. Absolutely. Most of the time, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm curious, judging and, and being in that situation in, in television and looking at other people's work at a, a highly critical level, has that changed anything for you in your own design process and how you approach your work? I'm sorry. I'm going to, I want to hit one thing before we go to that question. <laughs> okay. Cause it's so, it's so pertinent to what we're saying. You're yeah. talking about musicians okay. and how you, how you go. And one of the big things with design for me is knowing when to stop. When's enough's enough. And that right. brought up a story that a good friend of mine always tells about John Coltrane and Miles Davis. And John Coltrane told Miles or Miles Davis told John Coltrane, you go too long in your solos. You just keep going. And John Coltrane said to Miles Davis, I don't know how to stop. And Miles Davis says, you pull the horn out of your mouth. That's how you stop. <laughs> and that's so true. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things that with design, you have to know when enough is enough. Yeah. And same thing with, with craftsmanship. You know, I mean, some people get so fanatical about the smallest detail when it needs to be structural, it needs yeah. to be sound. Do you really need to put 20 hours into one, one joint? Probably not. Sure. Uh, so knowing when to stop is critical. Right. So. Your next question. That, totally. well, that's, that's, <laughs> no, that's an extremely good point. And I, I try to, to explain this to people all the time as you 
amass a set of skills and you get all these little uh, tricks of the trade in your toolbox that you could pull out. The, the key of maturing as a designer and a builder is restraint, is knowing that, yeah, I have all these at my disposal, but if I put all of this into one piece, it's going to be a, a hot mess. So I need to hold back. And it's knowing what to include and what to pull back that makes you good at Absolutely. designing stuff. So no, I think that's ever, a fantastic point. You watch The Simpsons? Uh, okay, I used to watch it a lot more, but I'm more of a family guy, man. Okay. I'm a family guy as well. <laughs> Did you ever see The Simpsons where Homer designed a car? No, no. That is what a lot of guys do. It had a bubble, had fins, it was green. <laughs> Everything you could put in it, right? <laughs> Everything you could do. He did it in one car. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you're exactly right. Knowing what not to do and removing is the having good taste, essentially, okay. is what it is. Yeah. All right. So then back to the other question okay. is uh, the process of judging. Did it teach you anything about yourself? Uh, because I don't know, when you have to be really critical about other people's stuff, you have to learn something about seeing yourself in their shoes and mm-hmm. what that might be like for you. So has that brought anything back with you that you're now going to take into your business as you build more pieces? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> you know, well, judging is a very humbling experience. A lot of people think, it, you know, you have to be cocky and arrogant to be a good judge. And that's not true at all. I always put myself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. I always think about how they feel in that moment. Um, but like I said in the beginning of this is we made a commitment to be a hundred percent honest because yeah. authenticity is what reads and it's what's real. And, you know, for me, honesty is love. And so, uh, so through that whole process, uh, I think I came to appreciate the importance of craftsmanship, the importance of design even more than I did before, yeah. you know, because, uh, because that's really the focus of, of framework is sure. craftsmanship design. So you go into and you're like, yeah, you know, this is this is what we're going to talk about and this is what we're going to focus on. But when you have to really nitpick every little tiny detail, you yeah. really start to see things in a different light. Do you feel a little bit nervous being in a point of passing judgment on people about what people may be <laughs> passing judgment on your work from here on out? You know, well, people always judge my work. Yeah. It's it's do you have thick skin and can you take the criticism? <laughs> right. uh, I definitely can take the criticism. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't make my furniture for awards. I don't make my furniture for uh, accolades. Mm-hmm. I do it because I love it, right. and a lot of people on the show do it because they love it. And they'll say it's in the show. Hey, I didn't win, but I do what I love, right. and that's what's most important. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right. Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about your work now. Sure. Here's the the audience that's going to listen to this primarily works with wood, Uh, maybe a few mixed materials here and there, but mostly wood. Uh, But your specialty is concrete. Mm -hmm. And to the uninitiated, me, uh, concrete seems like a really, really unforgiving and difficult product to work with. Uh, Wood can move a little bit here Mm -hmm. and there, and I have moisture and humidity concerns. But for the most part, I can kind of predict and adjust on the fly, and I, I know what I'm working with. But concrete, just you know, for lack of a better phrasing, sounds like a very hard material to work with. It so, is. Uh, tell me a little bit about it, because how, how do you how do you establish creativity with a medium like that? Well, concrete is completely formless, and so it's unique. Um, metal is metal, mm-hmm. wood is wood. You know, you start with the same sheet steel that I can get in New York, get it in LA, get it in Phoenix. Same thing with wood; I can get the same walnut that I can get in New York. So those materials, they're the same for everybody. So you become a master at crafting those materials. Right. Concrete, you manufacture the material, and every guy does it differently. And so, you know, it, it's super advanced chemistry now. The mixes we use are ultra-high performance. We have electrolytes and poslins and acrylics and fibers and plasticizers and all these things that go into the mix. But even then, it's completely unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And I can mix concrete this morning and mix it tonight, and it'll be completely different, even if I do the exact same thing. Right. And so to to try to get a handle on that, because you never really master it, but try to get a handle on that and then become proficient in form work and then become proficient in design 
it's a very daunting task. Yeah. That's to be sure. But uh, it's a very honest material. Um, you know, I think humans really embrace concrete, especially today, because everything is so machined. Everything is so perfect. Everything mm-hmm. doesn't have the human hand. Right. And concrete on its best day is imperfect, you know? And so we see imperfection in ourselves. We see imperfection in material. So you relate to the material. And so concrete's kind of seeing a renaissance right now. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit more about the process. So you're, you you got a batch of concrete and you need to, to make something amazing. I mean, if, if you guys get a chance, you have to go to his website at uh, goredesignco.com. Look at the portfolio. There's some amazing pieces in there that actually don't look like concrete. Sure. So you have to be doing something to this stuff to, to you know, manipulate it to that level. So I understand pour the concrete into some kind of a form. Sure. But there's a whole lot more going on here. So there if is. you can, just give us a little taste yeah. of what your process is like. <clears throat> well... So what I specialize in and a process that I've worked a long time to perfect is GFRC. It stands for glass fiber reinforced concrete. Now, in its basic form, that's all it is. Concrete that's reinforced to glass fiber. But the mix is so highly engineered that we can do extremely thin shell pieces. And so things like concrete sinks, concrete chairs, uh, concrete fire pits, whatever, we can do them in a way that you couldn't do five years ago. Now, the application methods differ. Sometimes we spray concrete. Sometimes we hand apply it. Sometimes we cast it. Sometimes we pressure inject concrete, which is a new method I've been working on. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to apply the concrete, but we're always trying to get the most perfect part out of the mold that we can get. And so, as my friend Mike Carmody would say, the problem is the source of the solution. And so we look at the problem. The problem is the form. And we come up with a solution of how to best cast the concrete into that form. So there's one piece, I believe it is the flow desk and yeah. you have fabric formed concrete and it just looks like fabric. Absolutely. Amazing. So what, what is it in the material? Is that all in the casting form? It's all in the form. Yeah. It's all in the form. So concrete is a mirror. If I cast on melamine, if I cast on formica, if I cast on burlap, whatever mm-hmm. I cast on, it'll take the exact texture. Okay. I mean, if you have a thumbprint, it'll pick it up yeah. in the concrete. It's amazing. The detail it picks up. So as far as that, that front part of that desk, that had to do with the form. And so we manipulated uh, fabric, which we teach classes on the subject. Uh, but we manipulated the fabric and essentially locked it in that time and then cast concrete against it. Okay, gotcha. Amazing. I mean, just the, the pieces I was looking at on there are just like, it, in, in a good way, looks like it's not concrete. Sure. It looks like it could be cl- uh, glass. It could be plastic. There's so many things. And that one, in particular, flow desk, looks like it truly is a tablecloth. It does. <laughs> so yeah. you definitely nailed the effect. Well, you know, it's funny. That's in my studio. That's my desk. And my conference table is white as well. Mm-hmm. And people come to me to get a concrete sink or whatever. And they walk into my studio and they say, what is this? I'm like, did you come to a wood shop? It's yeah. concrete. You know, yeah. you came here to get concrete. But that's the problem with really perfect concrete yeah. is sometimes it doesn't read as concrete. And that's something that actually I've kind of become full circle is when you start off, you don't know what you're doing. And your concrete is full of bug holes, it's imperfect, it has crazing, it's just modeled, and then you become perfect. And you become a master in what you do. And then you long for the imperfect beginning. And (laughs) so now it's like, I don't want to do white concrete anymore. I want to do concrete that's natural gray. I want to do concrete that does have some air holes in it because those things are real. Yeah. So... So here, here's a comment that came in. You're, you'll love this. Um, <laughs> this was on Facebook today when I announced that we were going to do this interview. Um, and it, it's kind of a jerky question. or sure. Not a question. It's a jerky statement. But I think it actually does represent what a lot of people may think about concrete. And somebody actually said, concrete belongs outside, not inside. Sure. And he probably said it just like that when he yeah. typed it. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious what, you know, 
What do you think about that comment? I mean, that's is so counterintuitive to what you do. Sure. The things you do absolutely belong inside. Yeah. Well, so the Romans who invented concrete started using concrete indoors 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. So in Rome, they're still countertops are 2,000 years old. Yeah. So it's been used for a long time. It's just not, <laughs> yeah. it's not prevalent in, in the United States. Right. It has become much more so in the last 10 years. Uh, but anything can be used indoors or outdoors. A good friend of mine who does concrete likens it like this, he'll say, you know, a violin is made of wood. A pallet is made of wood. They're not the same thing. Yeah. So a sidewalk is made of concrete. A concrete sink is made of concrete. They're not the same thing. So you can make anything poorly or you can make every, anything beautifully. And so that's what we focus on is beautifully crafted concrete. All right. Well, I'm going to close with, uh, I'm going to read some of your own words to sure. you. Uh, I was looking over your website and I found an excerpt that I think is great for anybody who makes anything. Uh, and puts love and effort and uh, a sort of high degree of craftsmanship into it. And I think it applies across the board. Um, And you could read this right on the background of his website. It says, who would want copper gutters that lack patina or cedar shingles that are prevented from taking on a silver sheen of age or naked steel without the ability to protect itself with oxidation? Concrete will age as all things do. It'll collect the moments that we share with it. Uh, if treated well, it'll outlast the people who made it and do do with, yeah, I'm going to screw this up for you too. How's that? Uh, and do so with the grace that they gave it. Uh, it. It goes on, but I think that's really poignant. That's, that's something that I love about making furniture sure. uh, and making it well is the fact that I'm only going to be here for a very fixed amount of time, but everything that I make, if I build it well, it's going to go to my son. It may go to his children if he has them, and it can be passed on to other people's families. And it, you know, by far outlives our lifetimes. So I am totally in sync with that that line of thinking. It's why I love what I do. It's very hard in this world to to make an impact uh, and do something that lasts beyond your own life. I mean, we. It's a little depressing when I think about like, boy, how much do I know about my great grandparents? You know, like unless they were a, a war hero or they did something amazing with their lives that it just this information gets passed down, you don't know a lot about them. But as craftspeople, we can make an impression on a lot of different people's lives. Uh, and whether it's concrete or wood or any of the materials and the things that they're building with stuff out of on framework, um, you know, these are people who can make a difference in other people's lives. I think it's a great thing. I agree. Well, that's really our focus Yeah. at Hard Goods and Gore Design Companies, make furniture that will literally last forever or as close as we can get to it, you know, <laughs> right, Granite yeah. Mountains deteriorate the over a million future, years. Yeah, but if, if my if my chair can last a thousand years, I'll be psyched. Yeah, you know, absolutely. But a thousand years in the in the history of man is a blink of the eye. Yeah. You know, so. But that's what we're striving for. Yeah, sounds great. All right. Well, Framework airs every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 Central. 9 Central. All right. And that's on Spike TV. You can catch some of the episodes, which is what I've been trying to do, online at spike.com slash shows slash framework. You can learn more about Brandon's company at goredesignco.com or follow him on Twitter at goredesignco. Uh, Brandon also offers classes and workshops. Uh, you can go to concretedesignschool.com to check that out. Do you have anything coming up soon that people should know about? Well, we're starting a new program called Conservatory of Craft, and Conservatory of Craft will be a little bit more encompassing. It's going to cover metalwork, woodwork, textiles, uh, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. we're going to be working with various artisans around the United States to teach those classes. I'm not an expert in those things, uh, but we're going to try to be a, kind of a one-stop shop for craft training. Sounds fantastic. And this area needs it. So good on you for doing that. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Brandon, for coming down. And uh, good luck with the show. Good luck with the business. Really appreciate you talking to me today. I appreciate it. After the official interview, Brandon and I talked a little bit more about Framework as well as Ellen's new design show. And I thought some of you may want to hear that too. So here it is. A question that I keep seeing is this Framework versus Ellen. 
you know, the, this whole <laughs> I thing. I specifically didn't bring up Ellen only because I wasn't just yeah. sure if you wanted to go there. Well, it's not that I, I want to go there or don't want to go there. Um, I love what Ellen's doing. That's the thing is, yeah. it, what you kind of said is the show framework is shining a light on, on this and people are talking about it. Yeah. Ellen's show is shining a light on this. Uh, the the differences of the two are we're design build competition and hers is a design competition. Right. Um, that's not good or bad. They're just different. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like apples and oranges. So when people are making these comparisons and they're doing this kind of thing, it's like we're, we're doing two different competitions here. It's a, it's a very different, different show. Yeah. Well, and I watched both of them. I uh, got one episode of the Ellen under my belt at this point. Uh, and what immediately struck me was like you're saying, it's very different in a sense that these are really designers and not necessarily builders. Some of them are, some of them clearly have building experience. And it seemed like the ones who did were the ones who did the best with their people that were partnered with that sure. they were at the actual builders. Excuse me. Uh, but what was annoying to see, and I know this is how design works sometimes, is to see someone who is so focused on design and almost seemingly out of touch with what it takes to actually build it and was just at odds with her partner who was supposed to do the building at the sure. same time, um, completely out of touch. And they were out of sync with each other. And I'm like, man, that looks like a miserable way to build a project. Well, it's pretty real world. As you know, when yeah. you work a designer, sometimes a designer yeah. has an idea in their mind. But the and finished just, product, yeah, exactly. they don't sync up together. Right. But, you know, I do this for a living. Yeah. I build furniture. Yesterday I was in my shop casting concrete. Today I was in my shop casting concrete. I'm going to sweep the floor tomorrow. I'll take out the trash. This <laughs> yeah. is what I do. You know, when we're filming Framework, Nolan, we'd wrap filming at 7 p.m. And he'd go work at his studio till 1 in the morning every single night. Wow. Like physically work. And so when we're on the show Framework... Me and Nolan are judging from a place of this is what we do. Yeah. You're in the trenches. Yeah. We're experts in furniture. Um, So when when you compare the two shows, you know, Ellen's show is very design focused. So the judges come from a design viewpoint. Right. Dwell Magazine. I love Dwell Magazine. I've been published in Dwell. I think it's a great publication. But we're coming at this from a craft viewpoint. And we're saying, you know, this is why this is good. Specifics of furniture. Not Mm -hmm. so much. You know, from a, from a design standpoint, from the consumer, we're saying this is what's good and bad. So yeah. that's where we really differ. We're design build, and uh, the judges, we just, we, you know, we, we create furniture for a living. Right. Well, and I think I personally identify better with the people who are on framework. That's the world that I live in. Uh, people who have ideas, they've got some tools, and they're going in their shops, and they're just making things happen. Absolutely. And just building. And I, and I love the concept of the sort of, uh, just the jack-of-all-trades who can go from design to execution successfully. Um, and I just, it's, it is, I know it exists, but it's a completely different world that I'm really not familiar with is sure. the one where there's designer in his office with software who passes design down to builder who's down where the sawdust is. Sure. That's not a world that I operate in. So for me, I think framework has that sort of grittiness to it that comes with the frustration that comes with designing, uh, having a failure and then having to go back and design again. And part of your failures may come from your inability to execute your own design. Absolutely, you know? and to me, that's a, that's actually a lot more interesting. It is. Well, I, I'm not going to say the person's name, but one of our builders was on Ellen's show. Okay, and the person removed himself from the show uh, because he couldn't build his own pieces. You know, it, once he, once this person found out that they could only design and they weren't really going to be building their pieces, yeah, it's like that's not what I want to do. You know, I want to I want to make my piece. Interesting. Um, that's not to say that's good or bad. Like I said, there's designers. I have friends that are designers that could not cut a piece of wood if they had to yeah. but they can design beautifully right. um, so there's definitely a place for both but we're design build and yeah. that's the difference <laughs>